be a last of a few weeks of bearing the marks of being a Christian, a follower of Christ, as we uh, will move into the Advent season beginning next Sunday. And we'll have four Sundays of Advent in an Advent series of Why Christmas? Why did uh, Christ have to come? And so you can begin to prepare your hearts for that. So this morning, though, we'll stop here at verse, or chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and bearing the marks, the marks of righteousness, uh, taken from the Philippian uh, letter. I'm going to be actually preaching this morning out of the NIV. Uh, there's a specific verse in the NIV that comes out a little bit more clearly than in the ESV, and I kind of want to focus on that, so bear with me. Um, they're, they're pretty close. They're not too far off, so... Just that one verse I want to focus on, uh, so we'll go with that. You know, before I went into uh, the ministry, I had a whole nother career. I didn't go into the ministry until I was 39 years old. Previous to that, I had an insurance business. I had an insurance agency in Jacksonville uh, with a business partner, and he and I spent our time and our lives uh, pursuing goals in the insurance industry and trying to make that our, our livelihood and uh, kind of who we were in life. A common thing, uh, theme within the insurance industry is this. Appearances are reality. Appearances are reality. And because that uh, falsehood dwells in many sales organizations, you have a tendency to think, if I make the outside look good, then everything will be acceptable to the point where you lease a nice, expensive car. The reason you lease that nice, expensive car is not necessarily so someone will look and say, gee, what a nice car, but they'll think that you are successful by the car that you drive. And if you're successful, therefore you can help make them successful. And so you put a facade of material things around you that other people can look at and say, hey, there's a guy who knows what he's doing, or there's a gal that knows what she's doing. They've really started to make it in life. They can give me some advice that I could benefit from, so I too can make it in life. Or if you're someone who's already made it in life, you look at those people and you go, well, they've made it in life, they're safe to give me some advice, so therefore I can make it in life. And then there's educational requirements that you did. You know, you would get your life underwriters training council 1, 2, and 3, your LUTC 1, 2, and 3. You'd get your CLU, a certified life underwriter. You'd get your CHFC, chartered financial consultant. You'd get your CFP, a certified financial consultant. It's pretty soon that you needed a business card with another business card attached just for your titles that you would have. And you know what they meant, right? that you were an expert in what you did. And there's some level of truth to that. There was some knowledge that you gained that made you smart in that particular area. But you know what it really meant? I knew a lot about one thing, but not a whole lot about other things. And if I was going to stand before Christ, and he was going to ask my qualifications in the life that I led, to meet his righteousness that is required, I was going to tell him, I have my LUTC3, I'm a CHFC, and I'm a CLU, and oh yeah, by the way, I was baptized a Presbyterian. 
You see, it's a list of righteousness that I was counting on. It's a list of stuff. What Paul says in these scriptures this morning, whatever it is that you are counting on other than the righteousness of Jesus is going to do you absolutely no good in your relationship with God. And he tells the Philippian church this because there are people coming into their congregation and giving a list of their credentials and saying that if you don't have these credentials, you're not as good a follower of Christ as we are. And those credentials, of course, included the lawful, Jewish lawful act of circumcision. And so when Paul talks about circumcision in these scripture verses, he's talking about those who are coming into the church and saying that your justification before God is based upon your actions according to the law. Your list of credentials. And he tells them, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice because it's not based on that. But it's based on the work of Christ on your behalf. That he has applied his righteousness to you. He says there is a fallacy in self-righteousness. Look with me in verses 2 through 6. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is written, we who are the circumcision... We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I have reason for such confidence. Paul says, watch out for those who do this in the church. Those mutilators of the flesh. Those dogs. Now, what Paul's saying here is not maybe the idea that you get... So when he calls someone a dog, I'm not thinking... Or I have a tendency to think of fluffy. Um, and that's not so bad to be called. Like Jax. I mean, we've got a lab named Jax. It's not so bad if he called me Jax. I like Jax. He's a great dog. He loves me. He's unconditional. The dogs, though, that were going on in this time back in Israel, they were wild dogs that Paul is talking about. They were dogs that you might see on National Geographic today when you look at the African savanna dogs that you would see, those wild cur, those feral dogs that do nothing but hunt down and destroy and mutilate and tear things apart, sometimes just for the sake of killing something. And that's what Paul is saying, that those who are coming in and saying you must be circumcised, you must follow the law to be justified before God, they truly are these wild dogs that want to do nothing but mutilate your heart. There's a fallacy in what they're telling you. They're telling you that there's some outside righteousness that you can gain. There's some list that you can follow. There's some place that you can go that will make you worthy. It's Jesus plus you. It's Jesus plus everything that's good about you that makes you acceptable to God is their message. The fallacy of that message. 
The truth is, it's just Jesus. And so Paul says, don't give in to this carnage of those who would burden you again with some type of slavery, with something that make you feel like you're good about you and less about God. Let me just kind of break down these verses for you. If you look at verse 3 with me. For it is we, talking about you and I, the church, who are the circumcision. What is he saying there? Because it almost sounds like he's saying two different things. When he's saying that we are the circumcision, maybe later today, look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and you'll see what Paul is saying is, is it is we who are baptized into Christ. We who are dependent upon Christ alone. We who know that he died for our sins, that he took our sins away, and that as he rose, we rose with him, not based upon any merit of our own, but solely upon the merit of Christ. And by faith we have been baptized into his death, and therefore by faith we have risen with him. That is who we, the true circumcision, are. We believe that Jesus completely kept the law, followed the law both externally and internally and applied that to us by faith that we are justified just as he is and just as if we had never sinned. Isn't that astonishing? Isn't that good news? And that is the true church. That is the true circumcision. That is the one true faith. And Paul is saying, watch out for anybody who would think that you could add to that. You know the principle of diminishing returns, right? That if you keep adding something to something, pretty soon its value goes down. I guess that was a CLU class. But it's very much the same. Every time we try to add something to what Jesus has done on our behalf, in our heart we diminish what Jesus has done. Every time we create a list that says, God, this is why I should be justified and why you should do something for me, we create a list that diminishes in our heart what Christ has done on our behalf. It goes like this. Lord, why can't I get what I want? After all, I went to seminary. Lord, why is that person succeeding and I'm not? After all, I've lived a better life. Lord, why has that person got more friends than I do? Because after all, I've tried to be the better Christian. You see, any time we begin to create the after all, the Lord, look at my righteousness. Lord, look what I've done. Lord, look how I've added to what Jesus has done on my behalf. We diminish that which Jesus has already done for us. Most of you know, back in 1996, I had a kidney transplant. Many of you don't know, it was my wife who gave me her kidney. We were asked, it was put on the news, 
um, you know, and all over our local area of Jacksonville. And we were interviewed in one place, and they said, well, what did you do for her? And I said, well, I got her a dining room table. (laughs) Now you know the principle of diminishing returns. (laughs) But you see, when we present that to God, it's the same laughable matter. Jesus has given you and I life and life eternal and life complete and life abundant and life with God and has created a secure and unshakable relationship with God the Father that can never be taken away. And yet we still want to put a list on it and say, God, here's why I deserve that. It's the fallacy of self-righteousness. And Paul says, We who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in our list, no confidence in our credentials, no confidence in our lineage, we are the ones who are truly worshiping God. We're the ones who truly have the relationship with God. Nothing wrong with being smart. Nothing wrong with getting as many accolades as you possibly can in where you work. That's good stuff. Kids, achieve a lot. Go as hard as you can. Do the best that you can. Give your first fruit from God. But never mistake that trophy for the significance of who you are to God. Never mistake your performance as your value to God. If you have a bunch of initials after your name, good for you. You know a lot about what you do. If you have initials in front of your name, Reverend, R-E-V, good for me. I've gone to seminary, and I've been taught by some of the best teachers there are in the world today. I went to one of the finest seminaries. But as I stand before God, there's only one thing that makes me complete. It's Jesus. And it's the same thing for you. It's the fallacy of self-righteousness that tells us it could be more than Jesus. And so, therefore, Paul goes further to say... This self-righteousness must be deconstructed. Our list have no ability to save us. Because he goes on to say this. Look, he says, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, you've got a bunch of initials, you know who you are, you've been to the finest schools, you've got initials in front of your name, you've got initials behind your name. Let me tell you something, Paul says, i got more. In terms of where it stands, if it's based on that, before God, I'm better than Mother Teresa. In the flesh, I have more. I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Well, what, is, what exactly is Paul saying there? What he's saying there is, I'm not a proselyte. I didn't come to this Jewish faith late in life. I'm blue blood, baby. I'm the son of a son of a son of a son of a Jew. And I followed all the laws. I know what's going on. I know how to keep the list in Judaism. 
kept it really well. And not only that, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. You should know that, right? Because after all, that's the tribe that never rebelled. That's the tribe that was truly Jewish. And after all, it's also a royal tribe. It's where the first king of Israel came, Saul. I was named after him. I go by Paul these days, but in that day, my name was Saul. I'm from the tribe of Ben. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. You don't get any better than this. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee, an expert, been well-trained, studied under Gamiel. As for zeal, persecuting the church. I'm a high religious scholar that's willing, that has a heart that's willing to protect my traditions. As for legalistic righteousness, I'm a perfectionist. Nobody studies more than me. Paul says, if it's based on that, I got it made. But he says, whatever was my profit, I now consider it a loss. First step in deconstruction of self-righteousness. Lose it. Whatever was my profit, I now consider a loss. For what reason? Why should I lose it? Why should I get rid of my own self-righteousness? For the sake of Christ. Because the more you take confidence in your own self-righteousness the more you diminish in your heart the righteousness of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. You see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, I've taken my birthright, thrown it away. I've taken my lineage, my genealogy, any importance I had in who my, what my name says that I am, I've thrown it away. I've taken my list of credentials, my successes, my failures. I've taken every list that I have and I've thrown it away. I've taken my need to be right and I've thrown it away. Why? For the sake of of knowing nothing but Jesus. Let me ask you this morning. Does he mean that much? In your heart and in my heart, does he mean that much? Can you and I with Paul say for the sake of Christ, I'm letting it all go. I'll find my value solely in him. I'll find my significance solely in Christ and his love for me. I'll make my life, my career, my passions, my everything about him. I'll take all my paradigms and let them fall for the sake of knowing Jesus. Does he mean that much?
Paul goes on to say, For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. That word in the Greek is a word um, that is, uh, it wouldn't be polite in this culture. I think the ESV puts it as dung. And the Greek is something even worse than dung. Paul says it's refuse. It's fecal matter. In comparison to what Christ is offering. In comparison to gaining Christ, to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I believe that's Paul's life verse. If, if ever Paul had a life verse, it had to be this one. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. That word know is a Greek word that is the same word that's used for intimacy between a husband and a wife. It is a word of deep, deep passion, of deep, deep intimacy, of deep, deep revelation. I want to know Jesus. And nothing else. I want to know him so well that I find his sufferings to me, my sufferings. And in that he and I fellowship. And the way that he walked in this world and suffered, I too get to walk in this world in fellowship with him and suffer. And I count it a privilege. Why would that be a privilege? Because the greater privilege is a result of to obtain the resurrection of eternal life, reigning with Christ forever. You can pour all you have into this life. And you can find every reward you can get out of this life. But at the end of the day, what you do here and now, if it is not for Christ will be wood, hay, and stubble, and it will burn. Is your career, two things, two questions. Is your career, one, under the control of Jesus, and two, is it for the glory of Jesus? Is your daily work Surrendered to Christ and his lordship over it. Do you wake in the morning and say, Lord, today I'm going to work and I'm working for you. You reign over what I do. If I'm promoted, you promote me. If I'm demoted, you demote me. If I'm harassed, I'm harassed for your sake. If I succeed, I succeed for your glory. And Lord, whatever I do, 
may glorify you. What about your housekeeping? Lord, in keeping my home, let me keep my home under your lordship and for your glory. I can tell you as one who's had a chronic disease for the last 20 years of his life, Lord, use it for your glory. In your sovereign will, it has come upon my life, but use it for your glory. If it makes me weak, O God, and I suffer, then let me be weak and suffer in your strength. If you find the need to touch my body to bring yourself glory, then touch away, O God. Your children. Lord, may my children know you and may they live for your glory. In the way that I parent, may I glorify you in the way that I parent. You see, the question goes on and on into every single area of our life. Lord, don't let me count on my own list. Don't let me count on the wisdom of the world. Lord, don't let me count on my own accolades. Let me only count on your lordship over my life and my life bringing you glory. How do I get there? How do I get to that way of dependency only in his righteousness? Well, Paul told us here in verse 10. And when he says, I want to know Christ... And I want to know the power, the um, Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, I want to revel in the joy of Christ's work on my behalf. Nothing could mean more to us than the joy of what Jesus has done for us. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe, maybe you just think you have a fire insurance policy. Maybe you're not even sure what value Jesus is. Let me be plain. The gospel is this. That yes, Jesus has come to die for you as a sinner. And he has taken your punishment of sin away. When he was punished on the cross, it was as though you were punished on the cross. And he took it away. And he also took away the perjury of sin. That perjury that says it can't be true. That perjury that says, no, you cannot be a child of God. That perjury that whispers in your ear and in my ear that says, I'm not good enough. Jesus says the Spirit of God is within you and it cries out, Abba, Father. In other words, that's a lie. The truth is you are God's child. And it also took away the power of sin. Jesus' death on the cross gave you and I, by the incarnation of the Holy Spirit, the adoption as children of God to be able to face sin and say no. We won't always do it perfectly. And that's why there's always a cry of redemption upon our lives from the cross. But we are freed to be able to pursue saying no. No to death and yes to life.
But it's more than that. It's not just that. It's that you are also joint heirs with Jesus in all that belongs to him in everything that is seen and unseen. You and I share in that with Jesus forever. It's not just that. It's that you and I will never have a disturbed, disintegrated, disillusioned, departed relationship with God the Father ever again. He's never going to be angry with you again. Isn't that good news? If I said nothing else today, that ought to really get you going. God's never going to be angry with you again. He's never going to be disappointed with you. How can we know that? Is God omniscient? He knows everything, right? He's also omnipresent. In other words, he fills the past and he fills the future. And so when Jesus died, he didn't only die for your sins of the past, he also died for your sins of the future, right? So you would have to do something that took God by surprise. God's not surprised by anything you and I do or have done. He died for it. So that the righteousness of Jesus is now your righteousness. And because of that, God's not going to be angry and God's not going to be disappointed. So when you fail and when I fail, do we feel angry? Do we feel disappointment? Absolutely. Do we have consequences to our sins? Absolutely. But do we have a safe and a secure father to go to and say, God, I blew it. I'm sorry. I did wrong. Forgive me with an assurance of knowing our God says you are forgiven. And yes, I've already forgiven you. Absolutely. You're free. Dwell on that. Paul says, know that. Know Christ. Know what he's done for you. Dwell on that. Think about that. He has crowned you with him. He has seated you with himself at the right hand of the Father to reign over things you and I haven't even seen yet. To be lavished in the love and the undiluted love of the Father forever and ever and ever again. Amen. That's what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for you and I. And so much more that our words can't describe. Paul says, I want to know Jesus. I want to live in his righteousness. I want to have all that he has procured on my behalf. I want that to be everything. It's a struggle for sure. What are some of the signs that I'm not depending on Christ any longer, but I'm depending on myself? Sign number one is this, a critical heart. I find when my heart gets critical, when I start finding I'm criticizing a lot of things, when I'm trying to chop stuff down, I find I'm living in my own righteousness at that point. 
Now, I'm not talking about constructive thought or constructive ways of doing things differently. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about with malice in my heart, putting something down because I'm angry about it. Second thing is a judgmental spirit. Comes out like this. Who do they think they are? You know what you're asking with that? What are their credentials? Who is this person that's coming here to do this specific thing? Just who do they think they are? Give me their credentials. And what if that person were to look at you and say, Jesus, that's the only credential I got. Probably get more mad. Third thing, feeling of superiority. We've got to protect it. I've got to protect my way. Because my way is the best way. And then lastly, the need to be right. That's a bad one for me. I find when I have self-righteousness dwelling up in me and I'm not depending upon Jesus, I need to fix everything and be right about everything. Just ask my family. You see, these things are critical signs that come into our life to give us a red flag that says, Christian, it's time to repent. Christian, it's time. You're getting in your own righteousness here. Get back to Jesus. Get back to his work. Get back to what he's done for you. Get back to what he's doing for others. Get back to your main purpose and being on this globe, advancing his kingdom. Get back to your real mission in life to have him have lordship over you and to glorify him with every step that you take. Quit living in your list and the list of other people and live in the list of Jesus. What are our next steps here? Next step, number one, look. So we just said, look at Christ's work on your behalf. If you don't know what that is, ask him. Fall on your knees and say, Jesus, show me what you've done for me. Let me see, God, the bounty and the scope and the voluminous work of you for me. Let me dwell upon that. Let me focus on that. Let me know that. Let me read about it. Let me listen to it. Let me dwell upon it. Let me just gaze upon the beauty of who you are and all that you've done. Consume me with yourself. Two is listen again for your actions. Listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Listen to what's in your heart. Are they things that are building up? Are they things that are bringing unity? Are they things that are glorifying Jesus? Are they things that are praising what he's done? Are they things that are encouraging your brothers and your sisters? Are they words of life to a dying world? Are they just words of more death or worse? Are they just noise? Listen to what's coming out. Listen to what's in here. And if it's matching these critical signs, 
then repent. Go back to looking at what Jesus has done and re-listening to what's coming out of your mouth. And then the last thing, learn. Learn Jesus. You want to be credentialed in Christ? Get immersed in the Gospels and read them. And then imitate him. Look, listen, and learn. Some of you know that Thanksgiving is a genealogical important time for my family. Direct descendant of William Bradford. I did go to some of the finest seminaries and study under some of the best teachers. I did I did pretty well in getting some awards and accolades and some things after my name. I've spent most of my life as a Christian following Jesus. There's things for me to brag on. When the day comes for me to leave, I only want you to know one thing about me. Jesus. Some of you have paid me the highest compliment you could have ever paid me. And you don't even know it. Some of you have written me notes that have said, the one thing we have learned from you is that God really loves us. And if that's all you got from whatever tenure I have here, hallelujah. Know Jesus. And everything will be all right. Let's pray.